So just to give you guys a sense of what's in John chapter 3, um, I was doing a little research on it, and I was looking for a different series. Pastors had taught like a sermon on it, and just to look at different pastors have taught like 16-week series on John 3 by itself. So like 16 weeks in just John chapter 3. That's how jam-packed it is of good stuff. We're going to do an hour of John chapter 3, so... Um, we're going to try to hit the good stuff and uh, just know that if you're like, I don't know, I already knew all of this, there's more to it probably, okay? So we are going to read our passage and we'll briefly look into it and then um, we'll split up into small groups. So we're actually going to start at John 2, uh, verse 23. So if you'll remember on Sunday, we covered how Jesus uh, turned water into wine called the first sign that he did by John. And then he cleanses the temple. He kicks out all the sheep and ox and people selling stuff in the temple. And we pick up there in verse 23, all right? So here it goes. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. So let's stop there. Jesus knows what is in man. Jesus knows what is in you. Jesus knows your heart. That's the first thing that we learned from John in our passage today. That Isn't it interesting that here Jesus is with a group of people, and what does it say that they did? They believed. But why did they believe? Because they saw miracles, okay? A group of people believe in Jesus when they see the miracles that he's done, and Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them. Now, we know, as good Christians, that when we believe, we get Jesus, right? If you believe in Jesus, his Holy Spirit comes into you. He entrusts himself to you. But here we're seeing that there's something about their belief that he does not entrust himself to them. And that thing is that Jesus knows their hearts. He knows what is in man. And this is the first hint that we get in John that there is more to believing than just seeing Jesus' miracles and saying, wow, something really special is here, okay? So that's kind of what we're getting kicked off to here. But as we think about that for ourselves, just consider the fact that Jesus knows your heart, that nothing in your heart is hidden from Jesus, that Jesus knows just how deep your belief in him goes. Even if you're here week in and week out, Jesus knows how deep that belief goes. He knows if you're faking it. He knows if you just kind of put on your Christian costume every Sunday and take it off every Monday. Jesus knows your heart. He knows if it's just lip service when you say you believe in Jesus. He knows if you really do trust him for salvation. And he won't entrust himself to you unless you've fully given yourself to him. Okay? So Jesus knows your heart. Well, knowing their hearts, he goes into this conversation, okay? So let's read verse chapter 3 here. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
real quick. What do you think of Nicodemus so far? Liz gives him the thumbs down. Why? Because he's coming at night. He's being really secretive and sneaky. Okay. He's not being like talking to Jesus during the day when all of his friends are around. Okay, so if we are thinking about what does real belief look like? Does sneaking off in the night to ask Jesus a few questions look like you're really putting your trust in him? Not necessarily, right? And this question, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. All he's doing is he's vaguely saying, we think that God might be with you somehow. They know what the Messiah is. They know that there's this guy. He doesn't even bring up Messiah when he's talking to Jesus. He's just saying, well, what's your deal? seems like there's something going on here. Okay, so let's read. Jesus says to him, answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting about that word again is it probably has a little number next to it in your Bible. And there's a footnote, I'm guessing, and that footnote says that again could also mean what? Anybody else have that in theirs? Or from above, okay? So this word again, it can mean two things. It can mean again or it can mean from above. So Jesus could be saying, unless you are born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. But the reason translators say again is because of what Nicodemus says next. Nicodemus definitely means, takes it to mean again. So here's what Nicodemus said to him. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now this is where me as a youth pastor, I really sympathize with Jesus because I get asked awkward things sometimes and this is about the most awkward question that you could be asked. As an old man, can I crawl back inside my... Mom, Jesus is like, "Mm, well, let me answer this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. That's where Jesus is saying, you missed the point, okay? This whole question about getting back inside, mom, Come on, Nicodemus, like, no, definitely not, okay? Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with, each, with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So the second thing we want to focus on from our passage is Jesus' point is that you must be born again. You must be born again. So here we have Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel, a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee. Someone, if anyone, ought to know what the Old Testament scriptures say. He ought to know his own religion. He is a teacher of Israel. And then we have Jesus, the son of man, who came from heaven, who seems to know a whole lot more. And the point that Jesus is making is that you must be born again. And it's in this context of what does it mean to really believe to have belief so that Jesus will entrust himself to you. When you are born again, we see in verse 6 that Jesus calls being born again, being born of water and of the Spirit. Now I'm going to have you look that up in your small group and and try to think about what does that mean. But one of the things it means is in verse 6, that that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So when 
humans give birth, they give birth to humans, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, which means when the Holy Spirit causes you to be born again, there is something spiritual happening in you. That you are being given a new spirit when the Holy Spirit causes you to be born again. And then when it says this whole thing about the wind, the wind blows where it wishes, you hear it sound and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Do you have a footnote next to wind? What does it say? Wind and spirit. What, what about them? The word means both. Yeah, the Greek word for wind is the same word for spirit. So we could read this and say, the spirit blows where it wishes and you do not hear it sound, but you do not, or you do not know where it comes from, where it goes. So it is with everyone born in the spirit. I think wind is the right correction, right in translation, but what he's doing is he's drawing this connection between wind and how the Holy Spirit and the new birth works. And here's what he's saying. When it comes to wind, you know that there's wind, right? Like we were just out there. We knew that there was wind. We felt the effects of the wind, but it was invisible, wasn't it? We didn't actually see the wind. He said, so it is with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit causes someone to be born again, you know it because you can see the effects of it. You know, maybe you've been said, someone said this to you, there's something different about you. You aren't like everyone else. Why don't you do these things that everyone else around the lunch table does? The sign of the Holy Spirit having caused you to be born again, it's, it's evident, but it's invisible. You, Caleb, when Caleb became a Christian, he still looked like Caleb, right? He didn't start glowing and have a halo or something like that. But the effects are there. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then we get to this last thing. Nicodemus in verse 9 says, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. This is where we really see that uh, Nicodemus is on the wrong path. You don't receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now this is a quotation from the Old Testament, right? Something happened with serpents and Moses, and you guys are going to look that up in your small group to kind of figure that out a little bit. But the kicker is verse 15. This is what Jesus is driving at. You must be born again, Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Being born again comes from believing in Jesus and results in eternal life. And then we're going to read 16 through 21, which is the explanation of this. And this is where we get something familiar in verse 16, and then maybe some unfamiliar stuff. For God, this is so for, here's the explanation, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world 
might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So let's talk about these verses really quick here. Verse 16. God loves you. And this is how we know. He did something incredibly costly to himself by giving his only son to us. He gave up his only son, and he gave it as an incredibly free gift, him as an incredibly free gift, so that whoever believes, at no cost, whoever believes, gets an infinitely good gift in eternal life. Okay, so this is God's love that he gave a costly gift, free infinitely good gift. And God came to a group of people who are all in one camp. So this gift, when, when, when this gift was being given, it was being given to people who are all in one camp. And that camp is condemned. Okay, so you guys see in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So I'm going to try to make this clear, but When Jesus came, he came to one group of people, and that was a group of people who were all condemned, guilty before a holy judge and sinful. None of us were neutral before God. We are all condemned and perishing. And that is why God can say he sent his son not to condemn the world, because we already were. We already are condemned before God. He sent his son to save. So he came to a whole bunch of people in prison so that he might bring some of them out. Okay, so Jesus' single role is to bring people out of condemnation. He came to save. And yet in coming, Jesus necessarily divides all of humanity into two groups, doesn't he? And this is a pattern we've seen in John. Every time we talk about Jesus coming, two groups are formed. And in this passage, it's between those who do not believe, who in seeing Jesus, who's described as the light here, they look at him and then at their darkness and the wicked things they do, and they choose to stay in the darkness. And why do they choose to stay in the darkness? It says because they loved doing evil. They love the darkness more than they love the light. They hate the idea that Jesus would expose just how wicked they really are. Because that's what happens when darkness comes into the light, right? You bring darkness into the light and you automatically see all the muck that's in there. They, uh, so, so they're in the darkness. They stay condemned. They already were condemned when Jesus came. They decide to stay condemned because they love the darkness. The other group is those who believe those who put their faith in Jesus, and they come into the light. And this isn't like one brilliant moment where you're like, oh, all of a sudden, I don't like darkness anymore. I only like light. Instead, it is seeing that there's darkness in you, but you decide, or 
we actually might say that God's power in you causes you to decide to come into the light and to keep coming into the light and keep coming into the light. And we had a really sweet time talking about this in the staff group today, right? So I was doing double duty. I was teaching the word in in our staff. So in our conversation with the staff group, we had a really sweet conversation because one of the members of our staff group said, this describes so much of my life. Like my, I, was, I was in darkness for so long, someone who came to Christ later on in life. And they said, it was one of the hardest things about becoming a Christian was that Jesus' light showed just how much darkness there was in my life. And so I asked them, I said, so what's the difference between you and between those who are unbelievers? And the difference is that the unbelievers love the darkness and they stay in it. And the believer, even though you see the darkness and Jesus reveals the darkness in your heart, you love the light. And so you keep coming into the light, even though it's painful, kind of like walking out of the movie theater and into the bright sun and you're like, "Ah!" and it burns your eyes. But it's a good thing. And so you keep coming back into the light. And that last verse, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God, that simply means that when you keep coming into the light, you are showing that God is at work in you. So I talk to people sometimes who are struggling with sin, and I sit across from them and they say, how can I be sure that I'm really a Christian when I sin so much and I keep struggling with sin? And you know what I say? I say, what are you doing right now? Like, Why are you sitting here? Why are you sitting in front of me broken over your sin and saying, I want to bring my sin into the light. I want to tell you my sin so that it can be in the light, so that you can help me, so that I can get over it, so that I can fight it. The virt- by virtue of them even sitting across from me and saying, I wrestle so much with sin. Do you know what they're doing? They're proving that they love the light and that they are people who love the light. So that's my question for us to end tonight is, do you love the darkness or do you love the light? That's something for us to ask ourselves as we go into our small groups and to consider, man, when the light shines on the darkness in my heart, what do I do? Am I like a cockroach that skitters back into the darkness and just wants to stay there? Or do I say, man, that burns and that hurts, but Jesus, I want you to do what it takes to make that dark corner light. Okay, so there's... A lot in this passage. Let me pray for us as we go into small groups and you guys will discuss it there. Lord Jesus, we love you and thank you for your word. I just pray that you give wisdom to the youth leaders as they lead the discussions. And I pray that you give openness and authenticity and uh, willingness to talk about these things in our small groups. And Lord, um, Lord, were you to do this work, I pray that you would even cause the new birth to happen tonight in the hearts of someone here, someone who's, who's not genuinely uh, given themselves to you yet and, and trusted themselves in full belief and experienced being born again by the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would allow that to happen tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.